that the more open and honest you are with yourself, the better you are as a friend, as a, a partner, as a broadcaster, the more true you are to yourself, um, the better you seem to be at everything. episode 12 of the Outfield Podcast, episode 5 or 6 or 7 in the quarantine bubonic plague series. I have no idea where we are at this point. Why am I bothering counting? Uh, we have a great guest today. First of all, I hope you like the new intro. Thank you to my friend Mark Zumoff for uh, giving me the idea to try that new intro, so it's a little bit shorter, even though I like the NPR tile intro song. Uh, anyway, Kate Scott, great broadcaster, packs all the networks among other places, first woman on this show. I'm embarrassed it took this long, but welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. I know I'm a little bit embarrassed to be your first female guest, but I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me today. I was going to try to get Megan Rapinoe, but you know, schedules conflicted. <laughs> we're all we're all trying to get Megan Rapinoe, Matt. So if you get her before me, then I'll just be jealous as opposed to embarrassed. If I get Megan Rapinoe before any sort of somewhat decent podcast, that would be the fluke of the century. <laughs> it would make Stop. no sense. Stop. <laughs> I don't think too highly of my own work compared to other people, and I say that in jest. I love yes. what I do. I love this podcast, but I'm not important. <laughs> Megan Rapino deals with important people, and I am not that. <laughs> well, I'll race you. I'll race you to try to get her on. You're more, you're more important than me. Oh, jeez. Stop it. Stop it. Get into the first question. <laughs> but you are, though. Uh, the first question is, uh, how are you uh, enjoying life during the bubonic plague? Uh, you know, this feels weird to say, but... Uh, I'm actually enjoying it quite a bit. Um, it's lovely to be home for such an extended period of time with all the travel I've done for, you know, the six months prior because I cover, for the most part, college sports these days. So my season starts in late July with the football media days, and it was obviously full steam ahead. I was in Vegas uh, working the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament when we got the call that the NBA season was canceled and we knew that it was just a matter of minutes until everything else in the sporting world was going to be canceled. So I've been traveling and at the grind, as you know, hard since August. So to get to be home um, and not having to rush to an airport and be prepping for 10 games. Obviously, I miss the rush, and I love what I do, but my wife and I are joking that we haven't seen this much of each other in maybe 10 years. <laughs> so I'm loving getting to spend time with her, loving getting to just walk the dog two or three times a day and just kind of relax and enjoy life because in this industry, the chance to slow down is so rare and usually means you've lost your job or you've been fired. Or you're me, um, who has been kind of semi-unemployed for four years. But anyway... Yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, and that's and that's why I feel kind of weird saying that, that I'm enjoying it because I have a number of friends who in the past couple of weeks have been laid off or furloughed. So I'm so grateful for what I have. But but personally, on a selfish note, I, I'm actually really enjoying the time with my family. That's a good thing to have, of course. And yeah, of course, we all like to spend time with our family until you realize that it's been however long it's been. seven months. <laughs> right. Um, I love yeah, check, check back in August of this year. We'll see what happens. Well, hopefully we're going to be a lot out of our houses by that point. You're in the Bay Area, so this has been going on for longer for you. Yeah, at yeah. The least. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to talk too much about the pandemic because, I mean, everyone's talked about the pandemic, and I'm sick of talking about it in return to sports coming back. We'll get <laughs> to that later. Uh, if you don't know who Kate is, that's unfortunate, and that's also a shame. 
because not only is she truly an incredible broadcaster, very, very good, and one of my personal favorites out there that I don't hear enough of for reasons I might joke about later, uh, one of the few out broadcasters in sports, period. There's just not many of us in this business that do what we do that are out. So we'll get to your story and your journey a little bit, but I have to have people uh, get introduced to you. So you... Uh, your your family life, where you grew up, things of this nature. I always like to start off with the easy questions, then get harder. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, talking about yourself is not necessarily that hard, but I always start to, you know, talk about where did you grow up. That That's easy. Everybody can answer that in a few words. Yeah. So I, I was born in Fresno, California, Central Valley, kind of in the middle of the state. When I was six, we moved to nearby Clovis, California, and, and that's where I grew up. So first 18 years of my life there, and then Came up to the Bay Area, went to college at Cal, UC Berkeley, and then got into broadcasting. And then you got into broadcasting. So your family, uh, I remember hearing on another podcast, Jewish family, that's even better. <laughs> that's spectacular. Love that. Yeah. And so other parts of your family life that you want to get people to know about, this is a chance for you to plug your whole family, too. I like doing that on this show. Give people, it's not just you that got you to where you are. It's a bunch of other people, too. That's true. It is. And uh, I had a wonderful uh, family growing up. My mom and dad uh, and my older sister, who's three and a half, four years older than me, um, and just grew up in a very safe area. Um, and that was another one of the things that I think really helped me fall in love with sports is the fact that after school every day, I lived on a street with a ton of other kids. There was four or five basketball hoops on the street, my house included. We spray painted bases in the street. A couple of kids had street hockey goals that they would roll out. And it was really after school, your parents knew where you were. They knew you were going to be playing outside with the other kids. Um, and we would spend all day until it got dark, until the streetlights came on. And we <laughs> we hated going inside so much that as we got older, we realized if we kicked the streetlights hard enough, they would go out and we could tell our parents, well, the streetlights haven't come on yet. So we get to stay outside and play a little bit longer. Um, so my parents dark then. My parents kind of understood, yeah, that uh, there was a reason the streetlights weren't coming on after a little while. But anyway, mom, dad, sister were all incredibly supportive, um, helped me play travel soccer. And I realized after the fact that the reason we didn't go on vacations for a number of years was because my travel soccer was so darn expensive, paying for all those hotels and the gas to L.A. and up to Sacramento and all over the state of California. Um, so, yeah, that was my upbringing, really supportive family. Uh, everybody loved sports. We grew up huge 49ers and Giants and Warriors fans. So to get to years later, cover those teams when I was working for KNBR, the radio station here in the Bay, just an absolute dream come true. I have to mention the two stories that you talked about in other places uh, for this particular uh, podcast because it's a, they're great stories. You talked about watching uh, Sports Center <laughs> and mm -hmm. seeing, what was it, Linda Cohn, Robin Roberts, yep. people like that. Mm -hmm. And you didn't really know why until you look back on it now, why you were so interested in this. You were a sports person, obviously, but then you're like, oh, these are women covering sports. That's novel. You know, yeah. when you're younger, you don't know anything. So you now say, oh, wait. That, that's cool. And then that leads into your high school story, which I have to also talk about. But talk about the, uh, the first thing, the, uh, the watching Sports Center and seeing these women cover <laughs> sports, which probably is, again, at that point, like, you just you never saw that. Exactly. And I, I didn't put two and two together because, again, I was a five or six year old. The story you're referencing that my mom loves to talk about is when you're a little kid and you can finally start making 
making your own breakfast on the weekends. So maybe mom and dad can sleep in a few minutes for once. Um, I would get my bowl of cereal and I would go out to our living room and I would turn on SportsCenter as opposed to all the other kids who were watching Saturday morning cartoons, right? My parents would come out and I'd be on the third repeat of SportsCenter because anyone old enough to remember, they would air the half hour SportsCenters just over and over again. So it would be, you know, the 11 p.m. from the night before and it would start airing at 5 or 6 a.m. the next morning and I would just eat them up and watch them over and over again uh, because I love sports and I didn't realize it at the time but obviously now that I've gotten into this um, I realize oh there's a reason I loved watching the episodes with Linda Cohn who you mentioned and Robin Roberts who were really the, the only two female sports anchors when I was a really little girl um, and I always loved their episodes more than the others and it took me until I got into this industry and realized oh it's because I was unknowingly at the age of, you know, five, six, seven, eight, wanting to get into this and seeing this maybe as something I could do in the future. I didn't put those things together when I was that young, but that was why I liked watching those women so much. And then we get to this high school story, which is a very fascinating story because I knew when I was like 10 that I wasn't good enough to play sports at any high level. So if I wanted <laughs> to be involved in sports, you had to find new ways. And that was talking mm -hmm. about it, which I did a lot and was very good at, apparently. So that's why I got into it, and I had the advent of broadcasting camps and things in 2004 that even seem kind of novel now in many ways. But you talk about this story in high school where your advisor says you play all these sports, you taught, you, what was it, you broad, you, was it broadcasting or PA announcing? What was the? Yeah, PA announcing, and I did the morning announcements on the school loudspeaker every oh, day. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I remember mm -hmm. that. I remember that <laughs> school. Uh, that was those were the days. Well, we would have had a, a quasi-school TV set up, but I went to school during the Great Recession, so we didn't have that. So uh, you went beforehand. So in high school then, your advisor says you're doing all of these things, and mm -hmm. you're kind of figuring out, oh, what am I going to do now when I go to college? And then it clicked. But it didn't click before then. Yeah, shout out to Mr. Schmazel. So happy that we had that conversation in between classes one day as I was walking to the office to turn something in um, because of what I just said. You know, there was Linda Cohn and Robin Roberts and a few others, Bonnie Bernstein, you know, Michelle Tafoya was just starting to transition from radio into television. Same with Hannah Storm and Susie Kolber, women who are so established now, but they were just kind of getting their feet wet or at least getting the chance to be on national TV when I was a, a little girl. So even though I love sports and was doing all of these things, the PA announcing for any sport that I wasn't calling, you know, men's soccer and football and men's tennis, and I played everything else, and then I'd be on the morning announcements as well. So I was on a microphone talking about sports already, but I just didn't see it as a career because everybody I watched for the most part was male. So I was planning on going to college and getting my teaching credential because my mom was a longtime special education teacher. A bunch of my friends were going into teaching and I thought it was a great way to impact the next generation because I always, since I was a little girl, looked up to and loved my teachers and, and still am in touch with some of my high school teachers now at the age of 37. Um, so that shows you just what an impact they had on me. But then Mr. Schmalzel said, hey, Kate, you idiot. <laughs> I mean, he didn't use that word exactly, but I like to say he verbally smacked me over the head and just pointing out connecting the dots for me, which I think a lot of kids need regardless of what they want to do. And that's why he was an advisor. That's why we're still in touch. That's why I'm so thankful that he does what he's doing because I needed someone to say, 
hey, Kate, you're doing all these things. You can do this. I think this is what you should, if you have a passion for it, like you seem to, you should follow this and see what you can do with it in college. And that was kind of when it clicked. And then I went to Cal knowing that I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do again because I hadn't done any broadcasting before. But I knew that I wanted to do some form of sports journalism. And then I went to college and got to figure it out. And that's what happens when you get to go to college. I was luckier yeah. that I figured out what I wanted to do before I went to Maryland. So Bonnie Burns team, shout out. Man of the Maryland. Yeah, go Terps. Very much so, as uh, the dysfunctional Viper Pit will get mentioned on this show quite a bit. I <laughs> uh, love, love it. Uh, uh, anyway, we'll get to more of them later. Uh, your sexuality, though, that's a different story. Uh, what's the journey with that? Well, the journey with that, gosh, how much time do you have? Um, well, you I'll can, try I mean, to as much as you have, I can go on forever. I'll try to give you hours. I'll try to give you the truncated version. Um, so, growing up, as I said, in the Central Valley, which I loved, was super safe, a great place to play sports. I like to call it the Texas of California because. My high school football stadium often, when I took friends home from college, was mistaken for a college football stadium. They thought it was Fresno State, and I had to tell them, no, actually, this is Clovis High, and there's five more high schools like it just in this town. Um, so it was great for sports. Um, but for someone coming to terms with their sexuality, and I went away to college in 2001, so I'm a little bit older than you, Matt, and probably some of the folks listening. And, it, and it's hard to, to think that just 20 years ago things were so different. But as we all know, when it comes to LGBT plus rights, like so much has changed. Um, so it was great when it came to safety and sports and friendships, but it was also extremely and remains um, fairly conservative and, and fairly religious. Um, so it was a difficult place for me to really do any exploring when it came to my sexuality. Um, so it actually took going away to college, which I know happens for a lot of people. Um, well, then you go to Cal, so it's completely different. <laughs> exactly, so that helped. And I love, uh, one of the stories I love telling about this this is senior year, uh, my AP government teacher, Mr. Olson, rest in peace. Uh, he would have a giant Pepsi with like cherry syrup that he would pump in himself because he didn't feel like paying for it. He had a huge jug of it from like Costco in the class every day. He'd play Pink Floyd quietly on the speakers throughout every single class. Um, and right before I went to college, he said, Kate, I just want to tell you, you're going to go away to Berkeley and a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to come back a liberal hippie and you're going to realize you're gay. <laughs> and I just started cracking up and I said, Mr. Olson, you're hilarious. That's crazy. Okay. Thanks so much. I'll see you later. Um, and Oops. then I went away <laughs> and certain perfect. things happened. Uh, so yes. but I think more than anything, I mean, I think this would have happened at a lot of colleges, right? Because in college, you're just out of the environment that you grew up in. So you have this newfound freedom um and you're not in whatever little box or town if you grew up in a small place like i did um and all of a sudden you have this chance to explore and make mistakes whether that comes to schooling or whether that comes to friendships or whether that comes to relationships or jobs right all these things you just have this newfound freedom so what are you going to do with it um but still it, it took me a couple years in um until a couple of friends came out to me and kind of that got me thinking about things but i still didn't realize it literally <laughs> um started falling for this girl still didn't realize it asked her out on a date didn't realize i was asking her out on a 
date really just thought we were going out as friends right because girlfriends ask each other to go hang out and go to dinner all the time um kissed my first girl still didn't realize it and then uh when i started falling in love with her realized oh gosh as i was having my first panic attack as well um i think i might be gay uh oh my gosh, this is terrifying. So that's kind of how things worked in my path to figuring things out. And then even when I figured it out, it was my junior year at Cal. And again, because of what I said, because of my upbringing, even though I knew that my parents would be accepting, as anybody who's come out in any way knows, it's still absolutely terrifying. It's the most afraid I've ever been. More afraid than before I called 49ers games a number of years ago, before the NHL game I called recently, it was the most overwhelming, intense, um, debilitating fear I've ever felt just because I was afraid of, you know, losing friends, losing family. What are people going to think? Is this going to affect my ability to get, get a job in the future? Just right. Our, our, our minds just race. Um, so I hid it from my parents for, a good six months until they called me out <laughs> pretty much like what's going on. And, uh, then on my 21st birthday, um, my parents came to visit and, uh, we went out just the three of us for a day and, uh, I told them and it was, you know, so scary. And my mom started crying and I was thinking, Oh crap, here we go. I thought they'd be accepting and what's happening. And, um, she says, you know, I'm not, I'm not crying because I'm surprised or because I don't accept you. I'm just, I'm so glad you told us. I'm just so scared for you, Kate, because, um, I know what you want to do. And I know that being a sports broadcaster is going to be hard enough just because you're a woman. And now you're adding this layer on that. You're going to be a gay woman and maybe think about being out. I'm just so scared for you. Um, and I loved her for her honesty. And, you know, we held each other and cried. And <laughs> my dad was hilarious and looks at my mom and goes, you knew? How did I had no idea? So well, that's that... the funny thing, because it's like some people you can tell, like some people right. have an instinct. And then it's like with me, I, when I told my sister, I've never heard her react like that in any way, shape, or form anything <laughs> I've ever said. And I've said some pretty crazy stuff mm -hmm. in my life. When mm -hmm. I said that to her, I think she reacted. It was the craziest reaction I've ever seen. And also, I came out publicly on my birthday, too. Because Yay. It makes it easier to remember what day it was. Exactly, right? You, you tie it up with something big, a big milestone in your life, and it's easy to do that. So just to finish that story, um, so that was funny that my parents had such different reactions. But that moment with my mom, I brought that up because – that was years later when I made the decision to be out on air. That was really the reason why, because when she said that, I realized, oh, wow, there there really isn't any out sports broadcasters. Again, at the time, I think it was 2003, um, 2004 at the latest, if I could do my math. Yeah, 2004. Um and again, not that long ago, but there was very few, not just sports broadcasters, very few broadcasters out at all. And so I remember thinking to myself when I was slowly but surely coming up in this industry and starting to make a name for myself, do I want to be out? And the answer was yes, because of what my mom said. Um, I wanted to, if I could, be that person that any young boy or girl could look to and say, she's doing it. She's making it and she's out and she's herself. If she can do it, maybe I'll have a chance to. It's a good story because, I mean, it just shows you how far. It was like 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Yeah. And this, again, this is the Bay Area. This is not, you know, exactly. 
like so if if it wasn't happening in the bay area it wasn't happening anywhere and i think again i i like that she, we have this reference point in this story when i talk with other people you don't have necessarily the reference point like with some mm -hmm. people they have los angeles they had the story of west hollywood mm -hmm. and you have cal berkeley which is i mean it's self-explanatory what that is at this point even if you, <laughs> it, you know what it is yeah and I, I have the advantage of having my uncle live there for 30 years so i know exactly what that place is oh and wow like, yep lived in berkeley and i know you told stories about uh, going to cal and hearing the cannon go off he used to live in a place where he could hear the cannon go off from his apartment oh that's so cool <laughs> and he was not exactly a football fan let let alone cal yeah there's plenty of people who live near the stadium and aren't really sure they want to live near this stadium but then they realized that cal wasn't good so the cannon didn't go off all that often okay exactly. I that joke i apologize yeah let's move on that was a low it's, blow uh well, again maryland's terrible you can't imagine how many terrible games i went through <laughs> and i and i still have to sit through uh but let's continue on with your career so you started not working in sports but in traffic so <laughs> yes. when i heard that i i was thinking to myself Wait, this is traffic in the Bay Area. Hold on. You could just say everything's crowded and move on. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. There was definitely days where I worked on a variety of different stations, and uh, you could obviously say certain things on certain stations that you couldn't on others, but I distinctly remember a day when I was working on the, the rock station here in the Bay Area where I just said, pull off the road, go get a beer or two, traffic sucks, it's not going to be better until about 8 o'clock tonight because it's raining and nobody can drive, you I know, back, imagine, back to you. I can imagine <laughs> my uncle saying the same thing. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that endeared me to a lot of folks on that rock station. I wouldn't have said that on the all-new station or, you know, the soft rock station, but that got the rock folks going, and they enjoyed also, my traffic from there forward. To younger people listening, yes, there were rock stations at this point in human history. <laughs> Very important yep. to remember. We're going to get to this, too, with KNBR, because you pointed out something that I also think I need to point out to younger people, because I also like broadcasting, so I know about the history of the industry in some ways. So traffic. So how do you get from traffic to sports then? Yeah, great question. And I wondered how that would happen when I took the job, because, again, when you're just graduating from college, you've been in a communications or journalism or whatever type of program you were in. I thought I was awesome. You know, I thought ESPN, they're going to be knocking on my door in just a second. Just just wait. Aaron Andrews, Kate Scott's coming right after you. Um, and then I realized that there was about 8 million of me at every other college, not just in the U.S., but across the world. And this was going to be a lot more difficult than I expected. Um, so I just started reaching out to everybody. And one of my internships right after I graduated. So I did a bunch of internships while I was at Cal. And then right afterwards, I did my first radio internship because I'd done print, I'd done television, but I was really fascinated by radio too. The fact that you didn't have to dress up and you just had to have an okay voice and had to know what you were talking about and have some personality and attitude and just have fun with it. So I actually interned for uh, the Sarah and No Name show, which is again, the Sarah and Vinny show here in the Bay Area, super popular. It's on an FM station. They're hilarious. And I always love listening to them. So I thought I'd love to learn from these folks, even though it's not sports, but I'm sure that they'll have connections somewhere. So I interned for them. And at the end of my internship, uh, I said, you know, do you guys know any jobs in the industry? Do I need to be an overnight board op, which is the person who runs the board, operates the board overnight when there's no DJ there and just plays the songs? That was one way to get in. 
Um, and they said, you know, Kate, there's also traffic reporting. We have a friend at, at the local traffic reporting department. They're, they're looking for some new faces, and maybe, maybe that would be a good spot for you. <laughs> so I reached out to the few mentors I had at the time and said, okay, guys, I, I think I'm going to say no to this because I want to get into sports. And thankfully... And this is why mentors are so important because they've been there and they understand more than you do when, you know, you're 21, 22. They said, don't be an idiot. They're offering you an opportunity to interview for a radio job in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a top 10 market in the country. Go interview for the damn job. Even if it's weather, it doesn't matter. Just get your foot in the door. So thankfully for them, again, we're seeing a theme here, right? Thanks to Mr. Schmazel, I got into things. Thanks to my mentors, I, I followed up. So I, I interviewed for the position, and I didn't even start on air for the first year plus. I was a traffic producer, so I was literally sitting at a super old computer. The California Highway Patrol writes their things in code, so someone calls 911, which is the California Highway Patrol, if they're out driving on the highways. Uh, they say, you know, we've got a motorcycle down in the right lane. The Highway Patrol would type that in in code. I learned how to read that code, and I would then be the person to translate that into there's a motorcycle down in the right lane, would hit enter. All of our traffic reporters who were actually on air were sitting in little closet-side studios all around me, and it would turn it into something that they could read so that when they went on the rock station, they could say, okay, there's a motorcycle down in the right lane. It was crazy to think of <laughs> the, the difference in technology just in the last 10 years. But that's what I did. I trained in the airplane for a little while. It was awesome. I mean, at the time... I was so frustrated, right, because you're just out of college, you're impatient, I want to be working in sports, this is crap, I'm not even on air. But in retrospect, I love talking about that part of my journey now because it allowed me to show people that I was a hard worker, that I was willing to do whatever it took to help the team. And then slowly but surely, because of those attributes, the people who I was working with, everyone who was much older than me, started to say, okay, Kate, we have a feeling you don't want to just produce traffic. What is it you want to do? Let's see what we can do to use our connections and everything that we've learned over our careers in radio to help you help this young kid, right? Get a leg up. So they helped me learn how to be on air and helped me transition into on air. And then after doing traffic for a while, they started helping me learn how to do sports and news reports. And after a few more years, I started to do that. And that's what in the end, helped me build a sports reel and helped me get my first job in sports radio. And, and from there, my career took off. It seems like it's a linear process. <laughs> nope. I, you, it's, it's funny how it could go from saying, oh, the Bay Bridge is crowded. Well, doesn't that happen every single day? Mm -hmm. But I mean, I try to remember the the, uh, the traffic that I have sat through in places in and around that area. And I go, yeah, this, this, this is bad. Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. That's why that's why traffic reporting was a great job to have in the Bay oh, Area because people people cared what you talked about. <laughs> they certainly do. I, I can't imagine. Or or the other joke is take Bart. Exactly. Bay area things that might not matter to some mm -hmm. of you, but I mean, you've lived there and I've been out there enough to have at least some idea of this now. Uh, so then we get to KNBR, which is very very important sports talk radio in San Francisco in the Bay Area. It's got all of the biggest teams, as you said, Giants, Warriors, and 49ers. Uh, the, the one thing I heard you say on another show was uh, it, on a cold night you could hear it in Oregon and then it was like again that's what AM radio was like you could blast it and you could hear it literally anywhere you could hear it on the moon 
at some point if the signal was yeah. wrong. For those AM stations, they ended up having that. For me, that was I could hear WFAN clear as day down here, and I'm yes. an hour and a half away from New York outside of Philadelphia. So, again, KMBR is a big deal. So you get to KMBR, and we have to talk about the public coming out story for you, which happens on the air. And this happened <laughs> in, in an interesting time in the history of the community because, of course, in 2008, you've got Prop 8. I think it was a Prop 8. Yeah, it was, it was Prop yeah, 8. Yeah, it was. So mm -hmm. that's, again, that's the day that President Obama wins a huge majority of votes, not just California nationwide, but California rejects gay marriage at the same time. To think about how things have changed so dramatically in yeah. 10 years, 12 years, is, is crazy. So it's still, I mean, again, Bay Area, you talked about going to the rallies for, what was it? Some of the gay marriage rallies who were run by Gavin Newsom, then mayor of San Francisco, now governor of California. Again, mm -hmm. how things change. And so you're coming out on air. And I mean, again, this is California we're talking about. This isn't middle of nowhere, Texas. Even if Fresno is Fresno, it's still the overall state of California is very unique politically in this way. Yeah. And you're working in a sports talk radio station, which is a very specific kind of person listens to sports talk radio. <laughs> right? You might yeah. not be predisposed to, oh, there's a lesbian on air. <laughs> exactly. Not, not be predisposed to that. And this is 2011. So tell that story because I, I, I really like this story because it, it, it shows like something so critical about this community and coming out stories. I think that is it's kind of unique that everyone has one of these examples in their in their uh, coming out journey. In that there's never a good time and it's always awkward and you're always afraid and you just well, have to do it. Right. The people <laughs> you think might not be as accepting are actually like, oh, OK. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened uh, at KMBR. So as you were saying, Matt, it was 2011. Um, obviously, the folks who at that time listened to sports radio, a lot different than those who listen now in 2020. It was mostly male and it was kind of thought of as the place where guys could be guys, whatever that meant to whoever was a part of that particular station. So I'd been working there barely a month and First of all, people were having a lot of trouble with the fact that I'm about 20 years younger than most of my male coworkers who were in their late 30s, early 40s, and older. Obviously, established people. Again, as you were saying, it's KNBR. It is a huge radio station when it comes to sports in the entire country. On top of that, I'm a woman, first woman they've hired full time. So they're thinking, first of all, what does this young chick who's, you know, five, six, seven years removed from college know about any of the stuff we grew up talking about? Second, she's a woman. What the heck does she know about sports? And now, now she's going to throw the third strike at us, the fact that she's gay. Um, so I worked on two different shows uh, when I was at KNBR. I worked on the morning show, the Murph and Max show, which was 5 to 9 a.m., and then I worked with Gary Radnich and Larry Kruger from 9 to noon. Both very different shows. The morning show, like a lot of morning shows, are upbeat, very personable, kind of more family-friendly than other stuff you might hear on sports radio because they know that a lot of families are driving their kids to school or going to work, and there's kids in the car. So uh, we were uh, doing a great job just kind of getting used to each other on air, and I finally felt comfortable enough to tell these guys, who, again, I'd only known for about a month off air one day. Uh, I said, guys, I want to tell you something because you talk so much about your families, and it seems like a really friendly show where we share a lot of our personal lives. Um, I just want to let you know that I'm gay, and I'm married, and I'm totally fine with the fact that you guys either want me to discuss that or don't want me to. Again, it's your show. 
I'm just doing updates. I talk occasionally. I had an open mic, but I knew it was their show. So, um, you know, I wasn't talking as often as they were. They had a great response, as you mentioned, Bay Area. They've lived here forever. Kate, thank you so much for telling us. No, we would love if you are comfortable talking about yourself. We would love for you to bring that to the show because we think you're adding so much diversity to our programming. We're two old white dudes who live in Marin, which is a specific area, the Bay Area. Um, so they just said, you know, you're young, you're living in an apartment, you're gay, you're, you know, closer to the college age. Like there's so many people who are going to be able to relate to you and we'd love it if you could be open. So great. All right. Awesome. Took care of that show. So I'm planning to talk to Gary and Larry again, a slightly different show, a little more you know, sports talk jock stuff because it's nine to noon. So kids are usually in school by then. It's mostly just guys driving around for work at their offices, at the mechanic shop, wherever. We knew that there was a ton of guys listening to that show. So I'm planning to tell them. And <laughs> literally the day that I'm planning to tell them we're on air, the nine to noon show is simulcast. So we're also on television and I'm making a point talking with my hands because that's what I do. And Gary, who's in a totally different studio than me, the guys are literally 20 feet away from me. I've got glass, obviously, in front of me. There's a producer in between us. And then there's where the guys are. So, you know, they're a ways away. Somehow still, Gary sees me motioning, sees my diamond wedding ring. <laughs> and in the middle of what I'm saying, he goes, Kate, Kate, who cares about that? What does your husband think about the fact that he's got a woman who knows so much about sports? And again, this is live radio, nine to noon. Think about the audience. It's a giant station and I freeze. And when you do that in radio, again, a uh, half a second of dead air feels like 15 minutes because it's radio and you never want to have somebody not talking. Uh, so I realize I have to decide right then and there in the span of about a second um, if I'm going to say I'm gay or if I'm going to go with it and tell him later and then try to come back on air the next day or the next week and tell listeners like this. So many things are running through my head in, again, the span of about a second. And I don't know why, but I just for some reason thought, OK, it's now or never. And I said, well, Gary, I'm actually married to a woman. <laughs> And then all of a sudden I kind of threw the dead air ball into his studio, which was hilarious because anybody who knows Gary Radnich in the Bay Area knows nobody can ever shut him up or leave him speechless ever. He's a legend. He, he retired a couple of years ago and it was like a huge changing of the guard. Um, but he was he was not expecting that. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> so after his second of dead air, he goes, oh. Uh, uh, that's Kate. That's great. Uh, what does she think? <laughs> and I think we both blacked out at that point. We somehow made it to the commercial break. And then as soon as that happened, I ran into his studio and said, Oh my gosh, Gary, I'm so sorry. I was planning to tell you this afternoon after we went off air. Uh, and he said, no, Kate, I'm so glad you said that. Um, that was great, and I'm I'm glad you were comfortable, and yeah, let's roll with it. So that was how the awkward, ridiculous coming out on air happened, um, and 
the best part of it was, as we started this conversation, Matt, the fact that it was so real and honest and awkward. And I was at KNBR for almost six years, and that was one of the thing that one of the things over the course of the six years, we'd be doing a live show before a Giants game, and somebody would come up to me and say, "I just want to tell you." When you came out, that made my day. I was cracking up. You left Gary speechless. Nobody's ever done that. I thought it took so much courage from you. Um, so it was just one of those things that, again, so many people could relate to for one reason or another, because their kid had come out to them, because they were trying to come out, because of something. Um, so I'm so or glad that it happened. Speechless. That, <laughs> exactly. That. But I'm just so glad that it was so raw. I was... At the time, I didn't think that. I was so embarrassed and wished we'd done it another way and it had been more polished. But over the years, I came to realize, no, that's how coming out is. And I'm so glad that so many people got to hear what it was like and just be an observer, just be on a fly on the wall because it seems to have helped a lot of people. Yep. That, I would imagine that. I mean, me, my coming out was scripted, which is not – I mean, there is no right way to come out. But No, it, but we try to, right, because we're so afraid. So we try to control what we can control, which is almost everything. Well, <laughs> so we you don't, don't have that never opportunity. Works like that. Never works like nope. that with coming out. But mm -hmm. as, as you hear with the stories on this show, that's, that's – I mean, that's the second person who's come out on radio. Alex Reamer did that too. So. Wow. What's it like to come out on radio? I don't know because I didn't do that. But no. <laughs> it's terrifying. I know, what it's like to be on I know what it's like to be on radio and it's like be like, oh, I went blank here. What do I say next? <laughs> I did student radio with Marilyn with my co-host, my good friend, who just was not a talkative person. You got to be a talkative person. Oh yeah, that's that's like not the right industry for you then. You got to coax it out of them, and I've learned how to coax it out of people. So KNBR now Pac-12 networks. There's a lot going on with these uh, beautiful. Pac-12 Conference of Champions. Hi, Bill Walton. Plug. <laughs> have you worked with Bill Walton yet? Uh, I have not. I've worked near Bill Walton, but I haven't worked near on Bill an actual Walton. broadcast so that with That means you've got some lectures on U.S. parks or plants you've never heard of. I have been around him where he has, yes, gone off on one of his um, soliloquies, shall we say. But uh, people, people love watching him. I know. Dave Pash and Ted Robinson and Roxy Bernstein, who are mostly paired with him during our broadcasts, they are – the three of them are great broadcasters already, but what they do to handle working with Walton, the pros – pros, pros, I'll tell you that much. I would love to work with Bill Walton just for the shtick. I just would like <laughs> to see how I deal with it because I like shtick and I like running jokes and things like that, so it would be a lot of fun for me. But anyway, you're at Pac-12 Networks, and now you're doing play-by-play. -play. So what about play-by-play? -play? What, what was the draw? That. Well, it's getting back to, you know, what I was saying about writing in high school. Um, it's as close as you can get to being a part of the sport and being a part of the action and being part of the game or the match without coaching or playing in it. Um, and as somebody who played a ton of sports in high school and grew up playing every sport I could, I mean, it was I obviously, like a lot of former athletes, missed the adrenaline rush, and it was one of the first times I found, oh my gosh, I'm nervous before doing something because I don't want to screw up my live open. Oh my gosh, this is I can do as much prep as I want, but if I'm expecting Matt to have the great game and then all of a sudden Mike is the one who's having the great game, well, I just got to roll with that. So, uh, so many aspects of it. The fact that it's unscripted, the fact that it's real and raw, the fact that it's sports, which is one of my biggest passions, obviously, um, and, and the fact that I get to be the voice to hopefully 
somebody's biggest home run or biggest touchdown or biggest win um, is is pretty darn cool. And um, so I'm just I, I feel lucky every single day that I get paid to cover sports because uh, it's not often, even though we tell people all the time, do what you love. It's so hard to be able to do that and pay the bills, right? People are so lucky when they get to do what they love. And I I consider myself one of those extremely lucky people. So let's do some quick hitting questions. Unfortunately, we don't have you as long as we'd like, but I'll get some quick hitting questions for you for play by play. Okay. Uh, Toughest sport for you that you have had to call is? Oh, hockey. What I did most recently. I have to ask Holy cats. Yeah, God, ask that about the Blues Blackhawks game. We could spend 30 minutes on this if we <laughs> We could. But, I mean, this happened right before, you know, the world went to, you know what. So, Thank goodness. Thank I mean, goodness it, we got that call in. Yeah, it, you did. And it's, it's, it is funny. Uh, I personally, when I've done play-by-play to myself, I've never done it professionally. But I don't think it's that hard if you know what you're doing and you're really into it. But mm-hmm. if you're not... I mean, it's a sport where you literally have to mention everything that's happening because everything that's happening is important. Exactly. Sports where everything is happening, but most of it's not important. Soccer mm-hmm. is definitely number one with that. <laughs> and you've done soccer too, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Everything. And it's so funny. So, like, did you – you clearly did games, like, to no one, just to prep because it's so hard to do that, let alone exactly. with the air. Yeah. Uh, so that's the biggest challenge you've had in, in your career? Was that any? It, it, it was – yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm right there with you now that I have that game under my belt and we did three test games. So we were at other NHL games just calling the game like we were calling it live for TV. But obviously we weren't the crew that was on air. We were in the booth next to them so that we'd get the same feed and everything. Um, but after calling those games now, I don't think it is the hardest, but man, as somebody who didn't grow up or do any prep before the, you know, two and a half months that I knew I was going to be calling in an NHL game, um, I'd say that learning curve was pretty intense because of a number of things. One, you're so high up. So that's one of the reasons I think that's one of the reasons football is so hard to call because everybody watches these sports on 70 inch screens and the players are three inches tall. But for us, we're in the arena or in the stadium, and the players are itty-bitty because you're seven, eight stories up, and the TVs, the monitors we have in our studios or, or our um, you know, broadcast booths, they're you know 20 inches. So the players are the same size whether you're looking on the monitor or down at the ice or down at the field. So uh, the vantage point is tough. The fact that they have helmets on and all look the same. And in hockey, they don't even have numbers on the front. They only have numbers on the back. So just simply the identifying of the players because of where you are and what they look like is so much different than soccer because, again, you can see people's faces. Basketball, volleyball, you're right on the court. So the vantage point is hard. And then also the speed and continuity of it. That's what sets it apart for me because I also call football. In football, it's a play, and then you reset every every single time and you know who's on offense for a team and you know who's on defense for a team but in hockey it's continuous the puck is much smaller than a football and guys who are on offense also play defense the defenders score in hockey i I, I question you on that depending on what team you're talking about well the game i called the two goals that were scored were both by blues defensemen they were both from blue liners so um, all of those things might be yes right and that's probably yeah. why the, the defending Stanley Cup champs. But that was why leading up to it, and because of the number of guys on a team. You know, basketball, five players start. Usually when you get 
end of the season, there's maybe eight players. Volleyball, six or seven players you need to know. Soccer, 12, maybe 13. But again, they're on the pitch for a really long period of time. Hockey, you've got 18, 19 guys, and they're switching off the ice every 45 seconds. And sometimes the lines change throughout the game. So there's like so much that made it really hard to get up to speed with. But again, now that I've called the game, I still think it's the hardest because of everything I mentioned. But now it was so much fun. I can't wait to do it again. It wasn't for when I do again, I've never done it professionally. I don't know. But when I think about the sports, that's hardest. If you don't have the prep you need, baseball and softball by extension, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because of the storytelling. That, yeah. The opposite. And the other one, and maybe it's because I don't know the sport that well. Volleyball, I thought was really hard. I just yeah. didn't know about it but once you once you figure it out again volleyball is a sport i knew the least about when i started calling it and now five six years in oh my gosh it is i think because it's such a fast-paced sport it's so much fun once you know what's going on to call i think it's harder just to learn about it and and that's like it's a sport that kind of seems foreign you know to Mm -hmm. me personally i mean i will probably have to call it at some point in the future but it was very difficult the next question i want to ask is let's say you're doing a Stanford Washington softball game if we were living in a normal universe and there was an openly gay player on one of these teams so that would go in your prep you would obviously know that going in mm-hmm. but would that be something that you mentioned during the course of a game or is it something that you drop in if it's a 10-1 blowout or something like that where would that come in for you calling a game because i have thought about this a lot like for it would be an important story for me but Mm -hmm. what would it be for you again being out would that be something you want to mention is it something you mentioned like some of the other little stories you go into the you know the roster notes and you pick out and be like okay i'll tell this if i need it well to me it's always if it fits a story that we as an entire broadcast team are wanting and, and trying to tell that day And I would also try to compare it to the other stories. So if I'm calling a Stanford-Washington softball game, am I talking about any of the straight players' relationships for any reason? If so, okay, then I might consider talking about a gay player's relationship. But if it's just another game, I don't usually talk about the relationships of, again, my collegiate athletes because they're still kind of a different level of privacy when it comes to college versus pros. But... There will be times when I will talk about it. Uh, and a great example is uh, we were at UCLA for their first ever Pride Day for their softball team last year. This is the team that went on to win the national championship. Hi, and Kirk. Another plug for him. Exactly. Their third base coach, Kirk Walker, a mutual friend of ours, was one of the first collegiate division one coaches to come out. It was a huge story and it wasn't that long ago. It was when he was the head coach at Oregon state. So all of a sudden there is a reason there is a purpose to wanting to tell this story because again, it's a big deal. It's a televised game. It is the first pride game at UCLA. Wrap your head around that LA, one of the most liberal spots again, other than the Bay area in California and it's taken this long. It's taken till 2019 for them to have a pride day. And I talked to Kirk and this is another thing you have to talk to the player or coach about it. So I, I approached Kirk before the game that day and said, Hey Kirk, this is my idea because I've been so inspired by your story because today is pride day. Would you be okay if I shared your story and how and why would you like me to share it? So we had a great long conversation and he talked about adopting his daughter. And, and then again, so we have all this prepped 
And then it just depends on how the game goes, right? Because you don't want to force it in. It is about the game. When you were doing play-by-play, no matter how many great stories you have prepped, and this is one of the things that took me a long time to learn, nobody cares about that. They want you to call the game. You only get to tell the other stories if they fit into the story of the game as a whole. It just so happened that UCLA was doing well. I think they were winning by quite a bit. So there was time and space for us to tell that story. But I waited until the game allowed for that, right? And then I made sure to tell my producer and director, okay, you guys, coming out of the break, here's what I want to do. Kirk is in the third base coaching box right now. So when I start telling this story, let's get a shot of him. Again, it was a whole team effort. And we were able to tell, again, that's the, the hard thing was, I think they got a couple of quick outs, so I had to truncate my story. I had to tell it a lot shorter than I wanted to, and I didn't think I did as great a job. Again, sorry, Kirk, I wanted to go into your story in much more detail. But again, you just got to call the game. So if there's two quick outs and you got to go to commercial break, you got to get out. So that was a very roundabout way of saying, if I knew a player was gay, that to me, even though to me and you, Matt, it might be you know, story worthy, or it might be broadcast worthy as a play-by-play announcer. Our job is just to call the game first and foremost. But if there's a reason, if maybe that player is the first player on their team and their coming out story really brought the team together and has been a rallying cry for that season, or if they just wrote an editorial in the school paper and have had a lot of positive response, you know, there has to be something more than just she's gay and she's straight because Usually, I wouldn't talk about that on a broadcast. Yeah, I I've, I always assume if somebody's coming out, there's a, there's a good story behind it. And yeah, considering the sports that I call, if somebody came out, it would probably be a big deal. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't try to shoehorn it in because you know you can't. But there is always if somebody's coming out in the sport, like even as like softball, it's still a pretty big deal. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. we don't have as much time with you as you'd like, so we have to wrap this up. But I'll I'll let you take the floor with this. There are many out people in broadcasting. There's still not many out people in sports, period. But it's 2020, and we made great progress. So what's next uh, for us in the booth, for sports, the sports you cover? So what, what do you think is next in the next decade? Because I presume we're both going to be doing this for a while, hopefully, if sports ever yeah. come back from the bubonic plague, which they will. <laughs> uh, we'll have to call games off monitors, but that's not that bad. Uh, so what is next for all of us, uh, not just the broadcast booth, but in general in sports? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt. Uh, I hope that you and I are doing this for a long time. I I'm hope that to, man. I, I'd I, like to. I, I hope that we, you know, continue to show young men and women who are trying to figure out who they are and what they want to do that this is an option for them, and that more and more kids go to college and figure out who they are and figure out that they can fit in the sports broadcasting or sports journalism industry in whatever way that is. Um, I hope people see Kirk and other, you know, out coaches and out athletes. And I hope that we get more and more athletes who feel comfortable being themselves because as you and I know, um, and I hear from people all the time that the more open and honest you are with yourself, the better you are as a friend, as a, a partner, as a broadcaster, the more true you are to yourself, um, the better you seem to be at everything. So I think that that can definitely span to our athletes and coaches. And, and yeah, I hope that 10, 15 years from now, because this is a question I get in a lot of podcasts or interviews, you know, when are we going to see an NFL player? When are we going to have an NBA star? When are we going to have a, a baseball player? And I know we've had a hockey player. Cause I don't know about that. If that's uh, anyway, 
Exactly. I mean, you know, Patrick Burke, a friend of mine with the You Can Play movement, is doing a great job trying to get that in hockey. And I think we will. But, you know, it's still a ways away. And I think it's going to take a number of guys and women kind of banding together behind the scenes and probably for the same thing we've talked about because it is so terrifying. And then you add on the layer of coming out and what is this going to mean for my career and the business of the entire professional organization that I play for and the league that we, I mean, there's so many layers to that, right? So I think it's probably going to take a number of players banding together and coming out at the same time. And I look forward to that happening. I know that it's going to happen. And I just hope that we can continue to little by little. That's my, that's my motto. Little by little one walks far. So I hope we just keep taking steps each and every season and year. Um, because I think the more diverse we get as a media, the more diverse we get as leagues, the more people can relate to and think that they can do that when they grow up. And I think that's great for everybody involved. Absolutely. No better way to say it than that. Plug yourself. Where can people find you on uh, social medias? Oh, geez. If people want to find me, um, I'm at Kate, the letter T and Scott, because somebody took Kate Scott before I could get to it. So Kate, the letter T and Scott on Twitter and on Instagram. And uh, I'm on Kate Scott Pac-12 on Facebook. I'm not there very often, more on Twitter and the Insta, but I do have a Facebook page. Anyway, there's just I, too much yeah. to do. There's too much to do. So I focus on two social medias as opposed to three. I, I want to say it's a great to have your great play by play. I hope we get to see you more. I have to ask one final question. If there were going to be an Olympics this year, which there mm. are, if there were, would you have been doing them? That's a great question. Um, I do not know because never the, the hockey game that I was calling for NBC was kind of going to be the final tryout. So I was in consideration for one of their final couple of jobs so i'm hoping fingers crossed i'm hoping because of the added year now since tokyo is not going to be till 2021 that maybe the extra time to think about things will put them over the top so we'll see and if not if not 2021 hopefully in the future because that's a goal. i'd like to see you leave the pac-12 and then join and go cover the big 10 because then i get to hear you more <laughs> hey Hey, I'm open to all opportunities. Again, I started in traffic, so I never say no to anything at this point. I would appreciate that because, you know, I'd like I'd like the more good play-by-play -play we can get to that. <laughs> and I'd like it more on my Maryland games, too. There so, you uh, go. And I've, obviously, I'd like to do Maryland games. I never got a chance to ask you what it's like calling Cal. Unfortunately, we'll have to do that for the sequel to the show. Yes, part two, part two. Part two. Oh, we'll definitely do part two. Thank you, Kate. It was amazing. Be well, and hopefully I get to hear you and all those get to hear you calling games again very soon. Thank you, Matt. It was so fun being on with you. Stay healthy. Stay safe, everybody. Talk soon.